Hey you guys, hope you're well. I just wanted to take this opportunity and let you know about our amazing new business scalability scorecard. So have you ever wondered if, you've, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, and you want to grow and scale the business but not sure how, and you're looking for some advice and you're looking for some strategies about how you could effectively grow and scale your business, well, this is your opportunity. We have actually created an amazing uh, business scalability scorecard. It takes you around seven to eight minutes, and at the end of that, it will actually create a report of all of the things that you're doing particularly well in and the things that you need to make improvements to your business. And uh, it's a great tool and a great asset for your business. To get free access to that, go to bit.ly forward slash business hyphen scalability hyphen scorecard. Go there, go now. Take care, see you soon. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience podcast with myself, Adam Strong. And today... Yes, we're going live. It's actually, I really enjoy doing some of the live stuff. I really do. And, um, and today I'm really, really super excited. I really am. Um, because um, we have uh, a, real, uh, a real game changer, as I like to call him, uh, on today's podcast. And um, uh, he's, it's interesting because we've been following each other for, for a number of years. And then we collaborated uh, on a couple of occasions. And, and today... We have the privilege of having him here on today's show. So I'm hoping that you guys are not only as excited as I am, but uh, we're also going to have fun. It's going to be interactive and uh, you guys are going to engage. And if you're listening to the recording of this, um, by the way, uh, what we'll do is we'll make sure that you check out um, our guests details on the links below. So um, without further ado. I'm going to now introduce our guest. Who is our guest for today, ladies and gentlemen? Well, he, he is um, he is a, uh, a five times New York Times bestselling author. He's a co-author uh, with his uh, good uh, with his business partner, Adrian Gostick. And he's an organizational culture, employee engagement and teamwork expert. Um, he has written um, he's written a number of books, actually. Four of the most common books, uh, which is um, The Carrot Principle, All In, uh, The Best Team Wins, and recently, Anxiety at Work. He recently became a podcast host as well called Anxiety at Work, which is um, which I, I, I'm really going to sort of in, uh, sort of ask him about that because that's a new project of his and whatever it might be. And uh, he's been featured in mainstream media from CNN, NBC, um, BBC, Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and honestly, um, I'm so super excited and about today. So, and I hope you are too. So, without further ado, Mr. Chester Hilton. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Adam, for that wonderful introduction. I always enjoy your enthusiasm. I, 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 honestly, I, I think you give it as good as you get. Seriously, I'm like, I, you're, you know, it's interesting. Like the time that we've known each other. 
what's really interesting is that you're probably one of the most happiest, humblest people on the planet. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, uh, my humility doesn't know how to respond to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and without, and also, you know, you've got, um, you, you, you have an, uh, you, you know, you love, uh, you love to stand out as well because orange is your favorite car. Everything that you do is orange, right? I mean, look, he's even got his favorite orange shirt on, ladies. And look at that. He's even got the carrot here, right? Honestly, yeah. it's fantastic. I love it. 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 So, listen, um, looking forward to today's show. Um, hope you are too. And uh, how, first of all, how you been? You know, doing really well. You know, I live just outside New York City, and New York City's opening up. And even with the variant, people are being careful. I was. In the city just uh, earlier this week, had uh, breakfast with a friend, rode the New Jersey transit trains for the first time. And oh. it was, uh, it smelled like Clorox. It was all very, uh, very safe. And so, yeah, things are, you know, when people are careful, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to get back together. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, um, Adrian and I have this wonderful podcast, Anxiety at Work. And we've met some of the most fascinating people, uh, some of the most mm. accomplished people that you would never think would suffer from any kind of anxiety or self-doubt. And yet every one of them has. And as they share their stories and they share their, their methods and their strategies as to how they've dealt with it, it's been really gratifying to not only get to know them, to then share their, their uh, stories and their strategies with others that may be suffering from anxiety at work, which we are finding is one of the number one issues in the workplace today. So very important to address. Interesting. I, I, you know, that's a really interesting point. Um, and we'll talk about anxiety, but I know that we can also talk about teams today more specifically. Uh, oh, I just had a comment come in. You've probably seen that. Uh, for, uh, this is from Stefan Tonin. Stefan is uh, um, he's a HR director and 25 years plus experience in the HR field. And uh, <laughs> we, in fact, he's one of our co-authors in our new book, Play the Game. Which, which, which you were very kindly um, uh, written a foreword to it, which, which I'm really super grateful for, and I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, thank you very much for your contributions. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I love this. Uh, he must be Dutch. I, I love Dutch football, by the way, Stefan. <laughs> I, I, I love the, the Dutch style of play. It's uh, unusual for an American to uh, love European football. Well, it's getting more common. My son Carter is a huge European football fan. And introduced really? me to football, yeah, about uh, 10, uh, 15 years ago. And we have we have great fun uh, watching the Euros. And, of course, I love the Dutch. When they don their orange jerseys, I just feel so validated. So thanks for your comment. <laughs> well, actually, it's not that, that you're American because you're Canadian, aren't you? It's very uh, not really very Canadian. Uh, no, it's not Canadian at all. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> At, at any rate, you know, I, and the thing, it's its so interesting that Stefan should put that comment up and we, we um, you know, transition to football because you talk about, you know, great teams. And it is interesting, isn't it? Uh, particularly when you watch uh, European football, you can have mm. uh, great stars and it doesn't matter, you know, if you don't have a great team and that great philosophy. And, you know, one of the uh, aspects of high performance teams and Adrian and I did a great, uh, I did a deep dive on high performance teams. We wrote a book actually called The Best Team Wins. And it was this idea that we um, we cheer for each other. And, and I love that about great teams is that, yes, we have our stars. And yet, if you're on the team, 
we should be cheering for you. And if you're on our team and we can't cheer for you, we got to figure that out. You know, we've got to figure that out. So whether we've uh, talked about, you know, culture, leadership, teamwork, anxiety, that red thread that goes through all of the work we've done is this idea, do we cheer for each other? And I got that actually from, from Scott O'Neill, who's a, a, an executive we studied for years now, who was actually the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team, the New Jersey Devils hockey team. He also was a president of Madison Square Garden, where, you know, the, the greatest, uh, greatest arena on earth, self-proclaimed. Um, and uh, he said, you know, think about that for a minute. If, if there is someone on your team you can't cheer for, why? You know, have you not managed them properly? Do they not understand their role on the team? And then he said, you know, think of the people on your team that you easily cheer for. Why? Why can you easily cheer for them? Is it because they always show up? Is it because they give their best? It's because they include other people. And I think it's a very simple tactic for team leaders and teammates to determine where they fit on the team and how other people fit on the team. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? It is very interesting. I always found it quite fascinating. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about one of the things that I find quite fascinating, Chester, is also how organizational, I guess, culture within companies and organizations, how that plays an important role, as well as building good, thriving teams. That, in essence, play you know that for me from a, on a psychological perspective but also on a um on a dna perspective that completely fascinates me no question i mean uh, you know culture eats strategy for breakfast is the, is the mm. famous famous quote <laughs> and, and i think you know not enough teams or, or companies spend enough time on who are we you know, what do we want to be and how do we want to get there? You know, our, our mission, vision, values, you know, and once you get that locked down, you know, our values will help us get to, you know, our, our vision and our mission is the, the mechanics on, on how we'll get there. How do we, how do we behave? How do we treat each other? What, what, what are the basics? You know, uh, I was just um, on a video chat with uh, Gary Ridge, uh, the CEO of WD-40. And they've developed a fabulous culture. And one of their, their, their core values, and they, they are hierarchical, right? Your first value is your most important. And it's do the right thing. And I, and I just love that it's that simple because we all know what that is, right? Are we doing the right thing? And then are we doing it for the right reasons? And if you can't answer that question, none of the other values matter. Because if you're not doing the right thing, everything else goes. So I, I do agree with you uh, wholeheartedly, Adam, that you know, getting the culture right, not only does it help you attract the right people, it, it, it intrinsically rejects the wrong people. And, and I love that about, about a great culture. I agree. You know, it's interesting. I love Gary Rich, by the way. I know that me and Gary have collaborated as well. So I think it was yourself that introduced us and whatever it is. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that really resonate with me, um, you know, with what he says, because it, it makes sense. You know what I'm saying? It, like, ma it makes complete sense. But it's amazing how organizations and leaders around the world don't actually do 
what I would see as common sense, but I guess common sense isn't so common in a com uncommon world. So, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and I think the way that you express your culture and your vision and your values, you know, I, I live in New Jersey, just outside New York City, and a lot of pharmaceutical companies here. And one of those that, that kind of sets the standard for culture is Johnson & Johnson. And in their facilities, they literally have their credo etched in stone. And I love that. You say, well, it's our, is it etched in stone? Well, J&J, yes, it is. It's literally etched in stone. And these are the core values that we drive. And, and so when they had, you know, the classic business school case of the poisoning of Tylenol, uh, they went right to the credo and said, our first obligation is to our, our customers and the people that use our products. And so pulling all those pills off the shelf, it wasn't a hard decision for them. It was, as you said, it was in their DNA. And not only was it a, a tremendous act, cost them millions of dollars, of course, it, it then established them as the company that really cares. And you will pay a premium for that. You know, people pay a premium for Tylenol and they should. Yep. True. I agree. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm like all of these wonderful conversations with like, and, and we have shared some amazing mutual friends from, from the likes of your business partner, Adrian and Gary and, and also Marshall as well, Marshall Goldsmith as well. You know, it, I'm kind of thinking to myself, maybe we should all collectively come together and, and maybe create <laughs> another New York Times bestselling book around DNA of culture. I don't know, but it's kind of fun. But um, interesting. Um, what's going to say? Uh, what does Stefan say to? He says, we have three simple values that define and creates our culture, hunger, heart and harmony. I love that. What do you think about yeah, that? Uh, what, what I like about what Stefan is, is showing us there is the simplicity. You know, I'm a big fan of the rule of three, and you've nailed it, Stefan. Um, I can remember three things. I'll never forget uh, doing some work with a, a tech company out in uh, California, out in Silicon Valley. And, of course, we wanted to base all our consulting and whatnot on their core values. And I said, so what are your core values? And he said, let me go get them. He said, we just, what? You know, yeah, exactly. We, we just had this retreat <laughs> and he came back and he said, you know, we have 12 core values. And I said, you know, 12, if you have 12 core values, you have no core values. No, no one can remember 12 core values. And I joked with him. I said, you know, Moses only had 10 and, and nobody, <laughs> nobody can remember those either. You, you ask your really good friends, list the 10 commandments for, for me, I guarantee you they will, they will not get it right. You know? Oh my God. So funny. Well, listen, I've, I've got a great question for you because, um, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is just like some great conversations and it's definitely like right up my street as they would say in the UK. Anyway. Um, I know that you've like really dedicated your life, you know, for the last 20, 25 years and, and the realm of, you know, culture and stuff like that. But of these are working in this space. What have you, what have you um, learned with working with what motivates employees? I know you've done some studies with Glasshouse. I know you did some studies with, um, oh, what's the other one? I came off the top of my tongue. But how do you think that they have, how do you think they've changed over the years in terms of what motivates an employee, especially in the digital world? Because I guess that has also played an important role as well. It does. And, and thanks for asking, Adam. You know, Adrian and I developed some years ago uh, our motivators assessment. 
Uh, so a great question for us. We've had, I think, around 90,000 people have taken it now. Uh, it was wow. put together by Gene Graves and Travis Bradbury, who developed the assessment for emotional intelligence 2.0. And so really rock solid in the methodology. And it is interesting, you know, when we initially did it, we thought, you know, when you have your core motivators, those will never change. We were very wrong in that assumption. <laughs> you know, you go through uh, life changes and, and things do change. We did find that there were some, some, some of your core motivators that didn't. For example, if family was really a core motivator for you, that tended to stay fairly consistent, right? If learning was a core, that stayed fairly consistent. Uh, life changes, you know, you get married, you have kids, uh, a pandemic hits, you lose your job, you lose... <laughs> You know, you lose your parents um, and, and things do change. The pandemic, I think, really shone the light on a couple of things. One is, is that, you know, if you were to ask pre-pandemic, what are the characteristics of great leaders, great team leaders? They'd say, well, a visionary, motivational, um, transparent, authentic. You know, it's really interesting, Adam. Now you ask that question and there's only one characteristic that great leaders have to have. And it's empathy. And so you ask me, what are employees looking for now that may have changed over time, particularly in the digital world? And it's they want to know that their leaders care. They yeah. want to know that they care about them. You know, it, it was shocking to us when we did the deep dive on anxiety at work that 90% of employees don't feel safe sharing their mental health issues with their immediate boss. 90%. Wow. Wow. And, and why? Because they're, they, they're not sure that, A, you care about me as a person. You care about me as a worker. I get that. You want my reports on time. You want my productivity reports. You want my sales quotas. Do you care about me as a person? Are you empathetic? And so I, I, I love your question because to me, it really comes down to one word and it's empathy. Do you care? And if I know that you care about me, not just as an employee, as a person, um, things are going to get really good really fast. Isn't that fascinating? I love that. I, 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 do you know what? That's a really interesting study that you did there. And I, and I, I really do think that there is some great, um, which is going to say, there's this great gravitas to, to that kind of study. There really is for, and it's certainly going to teach a lot of leaders whether they are experienced or they are new leaders because effectively, this whole kind of situation where we are in the world, it's not going away anytime soon, ladies and gentlemen, I can assure you. Absolutely. So, um, you know, what's really interesting too, and I'd like to ask you a, a question here, Adam, uh, because often people interchange a sympathy with empathy. Do you think there's a difference? And if so, what is it? There's definitely a difference between the two. Um, sympathy for sympathy and uh, empathy is kind of, you're really um, listening to your employees and you're trying to give them a safe space, right? You're trying to give them some reassurance that it doesn't, you know, we're in this together, right? That to me is empathy. Where sympathy is kind of more, you know, if someone's going through a tough time, you're, it's like you're, you're sympathizing with them with regards to their situation, whether it be, I don't know, a family member that passes away. You're sympathizing because of their situation. So there are two, what I, from my perspective, 
there are two subtle differences between empathy and sympathy. And it's very it's important to understand and distinguish the two and how to execute when when one is needed. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You know, sympathy is kind of uh bummer, dude. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, 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 I'm 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 kind of glad I'm not you, you know. Uh, you know, one sandwich. Um, the empathy really is, like you say, that caring, that listening and saying, look, I, I don't know exactly what you're going through. There have been times when I have also gone through tough times. Let's sit down and figure this out together. You know, it was so interesting as we did the interviews for our book, Anxiety at Work. Um, we said, well, what advice do you have for leaders? You know, we'd interview these really accomplished people. And they'd say, just one thing, understand that when your employees finally feel safe to talk to you about this, they know you're not a certified psychologist and counselor, and they don't expect you to have all the answers. And I thought that was really an interesting comment. What they do expect you to do is to listen and to empathize. And if you can listen and say, you are not alone. And that was really a key message that you are not alone. You know, whether you're going through some mental health issues, some anxiety, or you're just worried about your job, or you're trying to figure out where you fit on the team, to know that there is a listening ear and that you are not alone are such important messages for leaders to transmit to the people that work with and for them. And I, again, you know, back to Stefan, simple messages, uh, easy to articulate, not always easy to implement. True. Absolutely. Very good. I love it. Very cool. Um, I know we were talking about um, culture earlier, actually. And I, I, I'm wondering if we could like kind of delve in a little bit more deeper about that, because um, when we talk about, um, I know that Gary is particularly, um, I, wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say he's an expert. I would definitely say he has some great insight around culture. And I think all of us really, really do, because it's not a one size fits all approach, is it, to to building great cultures within companies and whatever it is. But how important is it to build the right culture? And where, what do we need to do to build the right culture to build the, you know, the 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 the, the, the high performing team that we really I suppose aspire to that's gonna you know that that's gonna make sure that our employees are happy and engaged as well as our business or the leaders of the business, you know, and making sure that they're performing at a level as well. Any thoughts there? Well, uh, first off, uh, Gary Ridge is a culture expert. <laughs> There's no doubt about that in my, in my mind. Uh, you know, he, he lives it, he breathes it. The importance of culture and where you get started is, uh, you know, we talk about in our roadmap to what we call an all-in culture is that there are three E's that are really important. You need to engage, enable, and energize your people. So this idea of who are we, who do we want to be, and how do we want to get there are really important conversations to have on a regular basis. And once you establish that, you say, okay, how are we engaging our people? Do they really understand what our noble cause is, right? That, that's just right from the beginning. Do, do you have that emotional connection to work, right? And, and the idea of, and then have we enabled you to do that? Do you have the tools to get there? I mean, I can be highly engaged. If I don't have the tools to get the job done, I'm like a hamster running in the wheel. I'm really busy. <laughs> I'm just not getting anything done. And then that, um, that emotional uh, connection, right? The idea that 
I care about the people that I work with. I care about my customers. I care about my community. I think more and more, particularly with uh, millennials and Gen Z, is they want to know that there's what they're doing makes a difference. And that's so important in your culture. How are we making a difference? Are we taking care of the, uh, the environment? Are we taking care of the, the poor and the needy and so on? I mean, I get that we make w- widgets and we need to sell as many of those widgets as we can to stay in business. Over and above that, what are we doing? And those are just such such key elements in, in, in a culture, engaging, enabling, and energizing your people. Do we understand our noble cause? Do we, do we share that with people? And are we really all on the same track? You know, uh, Alan Mulally, one of the great leaders of our generation who saved the Ford Motor Company during, you know, the recession in the yes. late, late 2000s, he had such a wonderful way of articulating the culture. He'd say, look, these are the behaviors. This is who we are. This is how we treat each other. And whenever he found an executive that, that couldn't do that, he'd coach him up. He tells the story of a particular executive that just was really hard on people and in a way that just was mean. And he said, look, you're incredibly competent. You get work done. The way you treat people, though, just is not acceptable. So let me coach you up. You you need to change that behavior. Now, I'm going to give you time to do that. And and I love the way he would say it. He'd say, now, and we'll just pick a name, uh, Frank. If you can't make the shift, that's okay. I mean, really, it is. It's okay. You just can't work here anymore, right? Because our culture won't support that. So I'm going to give you a chance to change. It's very well defined. Here's how we treat each other. And if you can do it, great. Stay here as long as you want. If you can't, that's okay, too. You just can't work here. And he said, look, I've never fired anybody. They've all self-selected. And I thought, you know, once you have a really well-defined culture and well-defined vision and, and, and goals and behaviors, then it gets really easy to attract the right people and reject the wrong people. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. By the way, I, by the way, Gary, if you are listening to this, I didn't mean to call you not you, you're not an expert. You are an expert. Of course, you're a bloody expert. Um, uh, I, I always meant is that what I actually was trying to um, say within that is that we're always learning more about our areas of expertise. There's, you know, and, and, and Marshall will talk to us about this a lot is that we're all continuing students. Even Marshall's a student, even Gary's a student, even you're a student. We're all continuing students and we're all refining our craft, you know? Um, yes, something yeah, more. And- in fact, Gary's motto, and he signs all his emails with, is "ancora imparo," which is Latin from from Michelangelo. I am still learning, so a hundred percent. You know, Gary is one of the greatest ongoing leaders of all time. I was uh, thinking, I agree. I've got his book around here somewhere. He just published a, a new book. Let me find. Ah, here it is. He did. His, uh, yeah, with his signature boomerang. The unexpected learning moment left lessons in leading and thriving culture through the lockdown. I love it. I love it. And I love I love the um I love the pattern of the book on it's very aboriginal. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, his, uh, Australian roots, no doubt about it. Love it, love it, love it. Oh, he, I haven't spoke to him in a while, but um I'll have to touch base with him and congratulate him on, on that. That's fantastic. Very good. I like that. So um I guess I, 
I guess my other question was, um, when it comes to when clients come to you, when organizations come to you, because I mean, you've, you've spoken at many different companies from around the world, you know, and, and they approach you and say, just up, you know, I'd, I'd love to build a team and like a, a, you know, a thriving team, but I just, I, I don't know how to do it. Like, where do I start? What, what is it that I need to do? You know, and, and, any thoughts there? Because I know that there's going to be a lot of people listening in and into this recording and stuff. And, you know, we're all in different journeys, as you know, Chester. Some of us are right at the beginning of that journey. And some people are, you know, uh, who are listening in are, you know, top CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So I guess the fundamentals don't change. But what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think the first step is where do you want to go? You know, where do you want to go? And, and then build your team to get you there. You know, there's the old uh, Aboriginal uh, adage, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. And Absolutely. so, you know, what is the destination? That's the, the that's the key question. Where do you want to go? And then who do you need to help you get there? And that, that helps mm. you flesh out your team. Unless you can answer that first simple question, nothing else matters. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Very good. Um Interestingly enough, I had a, a question this week and I was speaking to one of our clients and um, and she turned around. She's like, I, I, I know that I need to grow my team, Adam. Right. This is this was this, these were her words. Right. I know I need to grow my team, Adam. Right. But I just feel like I'm not a good manager. I'm, I feel like I'm not a good leader. Right. And just I don't know if I'm equipped to know how to build a team and whatever it might be. And I'm like, and obviously I gave her some advice, but what have you ever had conversations with people, with managers, with leaders in exactly the same situation? And if so, what do you say to those people? Well, you know, you have to make sure that everything's on the table. I mean, they may be right. <laughs> they may not be a good leader, <laughs> you know, uh, not, not, not everybody's a great leader. I think, you know, I, again, back to my friend, Scott O'Neill, um, he's, he is a, he's a student of leadership. I, I love that. that and, and he is a leader of leaders. He coaches, he is a CEO and he coaches CEOs and he comes from a family of CEOs, which is amazing to me. And he said, look, if you want to be a good leader, then be a student, study leadership, Yep. you know, Talk to guys like Adam, read, read books that, that Gary Ridge has, has written. I mean, uh, leadership is a vast category. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of books that have been written on leadership. Be a student. Figure out what kind of leader it is you want to be. I think we have sometimes in our heads that, that a leader looks like this. And it's not true. Leaders come in all shapes and sizes and weights and heights and, and colors and genders. There's no, there's no, there's no, you know, mold of a perfect leader. So find your path, become a student and, and do the work. Love it. Love it. Some sound advice. And it, you know, and, and it's interesting because I know and I completely understand those people, you know, from experience, but I guess you're absolutely spot on, um, you know, lean in. As I, as I like to call it. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, and by the way, after you've done your study and you've worked really hard at it, you may find out that it's not you. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, we, we, you know, sometimes we've got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. 
right? <laughs> so it, it. It, it, there's nothing wrong with being a great supporting actor. So find, find your place. You know, so often we'll take, and this happens in sales so often, right? We, we take the top salesperson and we make him the sales manager. And often that's the worst thing you could do. <laughs> right. The reason they're great salespeople is they like to manage their own time. They love the hunt, you know. And and so, uh, listen, make no mistake about it. We often promote people into leadership positions that we shouldn't. And and by the way, again, quoting Alan Mulally, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, listen, you you talk to great generals, and you know who they love? They love staff sergeants. You know, because <laughs> staff sergeants get stuff done. Right. We, we don't we, we don't need, you know, the worst thing you can have in your army is an army full of generals. My gosh, you'd never get anything done. So, you know, be a student of leadership, figure it out and find your place and be happy with that. 100 percent. Very good. Love it. Um, interestingly enough, there's something that we haven't really spoken about, which I think is a which I think is actually I would call it the currency of a team which is team spirit, right? We haven't really talked about team spirit and, and what breaks, what, um, and, we, and, and we look at American football, if you look at ice hockey, we'd look at football teams uh, or soccer teams, as they call it in the US, or whatever it yeah, might yeah. be, right? You've got, you've got these top performing teams, right? And then suddenly they go through what I call um, a blimp. They go through a blimp through in, or a road hump. And, and then suddenly... It, they're all off. They're all off. Poor, all off par. Like literally, they just can't get back them back into this kind of what I call synchronicity, right? All this flow, and they are unable to perform at the time of you know when they of when they when they're on top. Have you ever encountered in your? I'm sure you have. Have you ever? Um, come across uh, teams where their team spirit has broken down for one reason or, or another? And if so, what is it that has got them back to where they were before? Yeah, you know, the, the biggest um, failure in teams when they lose that team spirit uh, will almost always come back to trust. Something's mm. happened and you've broken trust. The manager has thrown you under the, the bus or a, a teammate has done something that's maybe a little... I, I don't want to say unethical, just something not appropriate, mm -hmm. you know, relationships right. that, you know, conversations that were confidential were, were shared with, with the rest of the team or the public. So uh, when you have high levels of trust, the, the team spirit can remain high. That doesn't mean that you'll always be productive and you'll win every game or you'll win every client. Mm -hmm. Right. The thing is, is when you have that deep seated trust, I know that you care about me. We can go through the hard times together. When we break that trust, when you don't show up, and this is something that I think is a concept that uh, we need to talk more about, is do we show up for each other? You know, and do we keep our promises? Which all comes back to trust. You know, uh, do we show up at the meetings? Do we show up for the client? Do we show up for the customer? Um, and do we have those levels of trust? I can talk to you about anything. You know, we're, we're all in this together. We are not alone. As soon as that trust is broken, as soon as that confidentiality is broken, then I'm, then I'm all alone. And you're gonna, it's going to be very hard for me to give my very best to you because I'm always going to be thinking about, if I say this, what does it mean? When she mm. said this, what did it really mean? 
And so that's mm -hmm. when I think, you know, the esprit de corps really suffers is when we feel like our teammates and our bosses haven't shown up for us and we don't trust them. So, you know, and, and as you know, Adam, it can take a long time to build trust and it can take you 10 seconds to lose it. I agree. 100%. Love it. Um, just out of curiosity, um, does that still apply to... Um, now, we've also got another mutual friend, uh, Dr. Uh, Olga Konolorov, uh, who wrote a, a great book called The Vision Code. And sure. uh, interestingly enough, um, we talk, um, in his book, he talks a lot about ego. The ego uh, and ego and vision don't kind of fall in the same kind of remit. They're very opposites. Um, if you've got someone within the team that's got like what, what I call a big ego, how does that translate into the team spirit? Can it, can a team continue to thrive because they see them, see that person as a, I don't know, as a, as a, as a someone to kind of compete against, or do they see them as a, as a, as a, com, a competition and as a, and as a toxic person? What's your thoughts on that? Well, again, it comes back to what kind of culture do you want? Do you want a culture right. of mercenaries? that all compete with each other. You know, there's a lot of, you know, I, in New York, in the financial world, there's a lot of that sharp elbows, toughen up, yeah. suck it up, you know, and, and, and so on. If that's the kind of culture you want, then big egos are great. You know, again, uh, you know, you, you want to go fast, go alone, big egos go alone. If you want to go far, if you want to build something of substance, which is a different tact, um, big egos normally don't do well. You know, and it's interesting, you know, Adrian and I, we, we built a training company before the training company we have now. And we, we had a very talented trainer on the team. Clients loved him. Salespeople that he supported loved him. Um, big ego, thought a lot of himself, as my father would say, was a legend in his own mind, right? <laughs> and, and, and we went, we were early managers, right? Early leaders. And we said, well, give us some advice. I said, well, you know, just manage around them. You know, you manage, you manage the star. The rules are a little different. And we did. And it crushed our team. And we finally got to the point where we said, you know what? Um, you treat the team badly. It's always about you. Um, you're, you're actually taking advantage of some of the rules, which, you know, became ridiculous. I mean, and, and so we, we finally came to the point where we said, you know what? For the, for the benefit of the team, uh, you need to leave. And we let him go. And we were worried because the salespeople really liked him. The clients, he always got good reviews. Um, not only did it not hurt our team, we we doubled our volume in the next like year and a half. Uh, wow. Sometimes we say, look, they're so talented. Let's figure it out. And and sometimes talented and, and big ego sometimes translates to toxic. And as yeah. soon as it crosses that line from big ego to toxic, you have to make a change. Now, here's what's really interesting, Adam, and I know you, you know this from experience. Sometimes the team knows before you do how toxic that team member is. And initially, they blame the big ego. It's your fault. Got well, it. the longer it goes on, that blame transfers from the big ego to the leader because you should know and you can fix it and you're not. And so now it's not the big ego that's the problem. It's you, the team leader, that's the problem. And I'll tell you, it was so interesting as we let him go and we, you know, we let him go graciously and we sent him off, you know, uh, appropriately. The bigger team party was the party after he left. 
<laughs> Everybody was <laughs> so relieved that he was no longer there. And, and you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting. You learn from sad experience, right? That sometimes we want to keep those top performers because they're top performers. When in reality, the best thing we can do is, is let them go because it's bad for the culture, because it's bad for the team. And those are hard choices to make. It was very hard for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, well, I think one of the things that, especially with a lot of our audience that listen into is, is, is this whole point of letting go, you know, whether it be letting go a team member, whether it be letting go of a client or whatever it is, you know, the, the, the whole kind of letting go, you know, it has a lot of a emotional attachment to it, right? Even if it affects the team, like you've mentioned, or it affects an individual. But, um, I mean, I guess you, you've, I suppose, you know, a lot of your clients have experienced the whole kind of, oh, you know, letting go. I, I feel uncomfortable with that, right? I, I you know, I, I don't know if I've got the bottle or, or I don't want to, I don't want to kind of, get, I don't want to be seen as a bad person. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you, how you advise people of kind of the whole letting go thing. And, you know, and because and, I know psychologically as a leader, you're, you're already thinking, oh, you know, this person's going to judge me or these guys, or the shareholder, whatever it might be. Any thoughts there? I, I mean, I'd be fascinated because, uh, you know, like I said, you know, this is kind of what people are thinking right now, you know? Sure. Listen, you just have, have to have strength uh, of character and belief in yourself. Um, my, my father, who is my greatest cheerleader and, you know, just the most amazing man I've ever met, he'd say, look, you do the right things for the right reasons and good things happen. If you do the right things for the right reasons, you have nothing to fear. And if you do the right things for the right reasons, and it turns out that that you end up losing your job or your position, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> it was a bad fit. It was a bad fit. And move on. Love it. Love it. Very good. Um, what I was going to say, I, I know that you talked about trust in team spirit, but I also wanted to ask you about complacency because teams can become very complacent and become very comfortable in whatever is that like you know and then this is when businesses start to plateau right they start to plateau they start to get comfortable and then suddenly you know you start you know businesses either they either grow or they they either grow and they continue learning or they die right they they, they fizzle out they, they they start to go down how in you know as part of that team spirit, from your perspective, does complacency come into that? Uh, does that does that come into play? And 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 if so, how do you advise clients about teams who become and leaders that become complacent and get too comfortable in being comfortable? Yes, you know, I, I would say, look, you you've got to constantly challenge yourself and look for new opportunities and, and, and so on. And that's the role of the leader to keep the team engaged. It, it, it is easy to, Hey, this is the way we've always done it. Let's keep doing it that way. You, you found that in the pandemic, you know, uh, a perfect example is, uh, is, is Chris Rainey and HR leaders. I mean, their business was in-person conferences and all of a sudden nobody could meet in person. What do we do? And he pivoted to online and his, his business exploded. You know, he challenged himself. He, he, it would have been very easy to say, well, this will blow over by the summer. Let's just wait it out. And a lot of people did that. Let's just take yes, a break. Did. You know, it'll, it'll, 
you know, if, uh, what was it? March was the lockdown. By the end of August, we'll be fine. Summer is kind of a slow time for us. Anyway, September will be back. Well, gosh, you know, 18 <laughs> months later, we're all still saying, well, when do we all get back? <laughs> so, yes, complacency. And, and that comes back to, do you have a, a spirit of innovation? Are you constantly mm. challenging yourself? And a lot of that comes from talking to your customers, talking to you. What are you seeing? What, what have you seen in other places that work well? What could we continue to improve and do differently? So, yeah, complacency is, is is it can be deadly. And there were a lot of companies that didn't survive through the pandemic. They couldn't make the pivot. I agree. Yep. And, and you know, and we haven't really spoken about this much, but uh, the importance of embracing change, adaptability and, and being nimble is, I guess, not only we've probably seen it more, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I know that you have, and I know that I have. We've embraced the change. We've had to be oh, mindful and adaptful and things like that. I mean, I know that there are still leaders out there that are still resistant to change, you know, because they, I don't know, what, what are the reasons why uh, leaders are resistant to change? Any, any, um, any, any conversations that you've had? Sure. Well, I think you, to your point, you get comfortable. And by the way, I, I didn't embrace the change as quickly as I probably should have. You know, I kind of thought, hey, let's kind of see how things are going. And, you know, we, we, we've got reserves. There's, there's no reason to panic, you know. And it was uh, our friend Marshall Goldsmith that called me up and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, we're doing this, this and this. He said, you need to start panicking now, like panicking now, <laughs> you know, and uh, and it was great advice. I thought, wow, geez, I guess I should be uh, doing a little more. So yeah, I, I will tell you because I know we're at, we're at time here. Um, yeah, Adam is you know if there are a couple of messages uh, to your leaders for high performance teams or just being a better leader is really focus on that empathy piece. Let your people know you care. Uh, when when people feel cared for, when they feel like their voices are heard, when they feel like they're important, really good things can happen. It, when when that empathy is missing, it becomes very check the box, very perfunctory. It's a very transactional relationship. And you know what? If there's one thing the pandemic taught us is that we're tired of that. We we yeah. want meaningful work. We want to work for good people, and we want to make a difference. Check those boxes. Love it, love it, love it. So tell me just before you go, because I am conscious of time. Tell me a little bit about more about your podcast, because honestly, I don't know anything about it. I've seen anxiety at work all over LinkedIn and all over the place. Tell us more about that. And I know you mentioned at the very beginning, you've been interviewing some interview uh, to some, some great leaders in the world and stuff like Why a podcast? And, you know, wh what's the vision for that? Well, really interesting. Uh, we did the podcast because uh, our friend told us you're probably the only authors on the planet that don't have a podcast. So what's the matter with you, right? <laughs> um, the, 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 the thing about it was, is the book is really important. The research is really important. Um, then the mission was, so, so what do you do after that? So, okay, it's a great book, great tips, great strategies. The idea was the extension of the book needed to be have people share their stories destigmatize anxiety at work, you know, normalize the conversation and bring empathy into those strategies. So along with the podcast, we also created an online community called we thrive together.global, a safe place to talk about mental health and anxiety in the workplace. So, you know, it wasn't for us, it wasn't just the book. It needed to be the book. It needed to be the ongoing conversations in the podcast. It needed to be a safe community. And we've even partnered with a wonderful company called the culture think tank, to help organizations be able to have a dashboard with 
simple surveys. Where are the anxiety hotspots? What's causing it? And what can we do to fix that? So we've got the book, we've got the podcast, we've got the community, we've got the platform, and then along with that is the training. So we are very, very mission-driven around this idea of anxiety at work, quite simply because we both had uh, children that suffered from it. So it's not just a workplace thing. It's a family thing. It's a community thing. And we think that we've been able to identify strategies, solutions, rituals that can really reduce anxiety, improve people's lives, improve where they work. So yes, Anxiety at Work, available where you find all your podcasts. Anxiety at Work, the book, available online where all fine books are sold. And please uh, join us uh, in our community. Uh, we thrive together.global. It, it, it's a package deal, and we think we can really make a difference. Love it. Love it. You know, uh, it's interesting because I know, I don't know about you. Are you on Clubhouse, by the way? Am I what? Clubhouse. Are you on Clubhouse? Uh, I visit Clubhouse. Okay, cool. Because, you know, we should maybe do some stuff in Clubhouse. I, 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 there's a lot of conversations on Clubhouse and mental health and work and stuff like that maybe we'll chat offline and and, and sort sure. of brainstorm some ideas and see if we can get the message out there i, I love that kind of uh what what you're what you stand for and i'm a big fan of you as, as you know and and uh, i continue to, to to be that fan and stuff like that so just want to say thank you so much for uh joining me today i really appreciate it and uh hope you had some fun and uh yeah it, it's been great yeah, it's always fun to be with you, Adam. Your energy is always contagious. And uh, big fan of LinkedIn. Follow us on LinkedIn. We've got a, a LinkedIn newsletter called The Gratitude Journal. In fact, we published it uh, twice a week. On, on Fridays, we publish one today. So please give it a visit and sign up. We have over 110,000 subscribers. We're, we're very pleased with the community we've developed there as well. So lots to do, lots to take care of. Have a great weekend, Adam. Always fun to be with you. Cheers, my friend. Always. Also, guys, make sure that if you have any questions for Chester, please also uh, make any comments in the comment section below or reach out to us and we'll see you soon. And if you want to connect with uh, Chester as well, please also check out his links below and we'll see you soon. So from me and Chester, have a wonderful day where you are in the world and we'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.